0: Definitely Baby acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we record today, the Tungarung people and the Wurundjeri Willam and Boon Wurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. This always was and always will be First Nations Land. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a beautiful day so far, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. For anyone who is new here, definitely Baby is a podcast that shares interviews with parents about their transitions into parenthood and the identity changes that come during this transformational time. So today we're joined by Jess. Now, Jess is living in regional Victoria with her husband of 12 years and their son, Riker, who is 14 months old. We speak about Jess's experiences with, firstly, becoming a parent away from family support with her family still living in New South Wales, navigating some families' complex issues that have occurred just before and throughout her early parenting journey, and her experiences with postpartum anxiety and depression, including a self-admitted mental health in-state. It's a really interesting conversation. Jess speaks about how the complexities of not feeling connected, feeling resentful to her baby after he was born, and the thoughts that kind of plagued her mind. So, I will provide a trigger warning for this episode, as yeah, we do touch on those topics postpartum anxiety depression and intrusive thoughts. So if this doesn't feel okay for you right now, you might want to come back to the episode at a later date. I've also included some resources in the show notes that you can look into if it brings anything up for you. It's such an important conversation and I thank you so much, Jess, for sharing your story with us. Let's get into the conversation now. Hello Jess. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Oh, thanks for
1: having me. Looking forward to the experience.
0: Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And could you start by introducing yourself and telling everyone a little bit about your family?
1: I am I'm Jess. I have a 14 month old son, his name's Riker. Um, and my husband and I have been together for 12 years, married for six. We live in regional Victoria. And we're both not from here. So we moved here seven years ago and we're both very far from our families. They're back in mid, on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Yeah, where we live is like a tiny little town as well. So that's pretty fun. We've made a bit of like surrogate family down here, which is pretty cool. And yeah, it's cold, but we're never bored. So that's good.
0: Oh good, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. And yeah, could you jump into giving us a summary of your pregnancy, your birth, and your postpartum
1: period with Raka? Yep. Yep. Um, so I guess part of my intro is probably important to kind of give a rundown of who we were pre kid and that both of us, we were really busy. We're super involved in community sport and like the local community and our friends and like we're very social and all of that sort of stuff. So most of our hobbies don't aren't really conducive to parenthood. So that was a big ground shaking thing for us because not only are we isolated from our hobbies, we've been isolated from our social circles and had to establish new ones, as everyone does when they enter parenthood. So um, when I fell pregnant, I it was a big groundbreak, ground shaking thing. I kind of I Was surrounded by people that were having trouble, so I got a little bit nervous, as we all do, and was like, "Oh, what if we have trouble? What if it takes us a few years? Stuff like that." And um, so I got my implant on out, and then within back to normal, and I fell pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, "Oh, wow! Wow. That's what happens (laughs) when you press that button. Damn it!" (laughs) So yeah, without sounding ungrateful, which I'm sure you know some of this might come across as, I I really struggled when I first found out I was pregnant. I found out when I was six weeks because I was just really suss on the entire situation. And I remember, like, doing the test, yelling at my husband because he was in bed and being like, "Oh, we did a thing." <laughs> and then he went to work, and I sat at the kitchen bench and just breathed like as deep as I could. And I called my mum back in New South Wales and I bawled on the phone for like. 45 minutes. Yeah, it was a big lifestyle shock for me. My job was a field-based job. I had a field car that went with the job. Um, I'd spent five years curating my own position at work where I was like central to a couple of divisions and quite busy. I was in the field two days a week up until I was like six and a half months pregnant. Um, We, yeah, I obviously couldn't play footy because... Yeah, my hobbies prior to falling pregnant were women's footy and drinking and you can't do either of those things when you're pregnant. (laughs) Um, I tried, the first game I tried to play when I just found out I was pregnant, I was six weeks, I copped one bump and I remember just like running off the field in tears being like, I can't do this. Like there's so Mm. much tension and pressure building up in me and my friends don't know about it and no one knows about this and my coach is like, what's wrong? And so I told the whole team I had gyno issues for ages. And they were like, you've never mentioned this before. And so a couple of them were pretty sus on me, but my male coach had no clue. He was like, oh, gyno issues, whatever. All right, then. <laughs> and then <laughs> six weeks later, they all kind of cottoned on, and a couple of them were like, I want to say running bets to be like, she's pregnant. She's totally pregnant. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. One of them had been scouting in my I house knew. and found the elevator on the windowsill and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah. She's like, that's a bit of a good I was way. on to you three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. Yep. so um, yeah, it was a big complex set of feelings finding out I was pregnant. Um, I, yeah, something I'd, a decision I'd made in the blink of an eye has just like rocked every foundation that I've set up for myself and every justification I have for living away from home and every snowball of guilt that I could possibly find, I then tied to my decision to fall pregnant because of course that was a conscious decision of mine. So I'd mentally prepared myself for birth. I'd done some really cool like core and floor restore online classes, which I actually loved. Um, But for the actual life adjustment, I had not prepared myself whatsoever. Yeah, I was running around pregnant being like, nothing's going to change. I'm going to come back full time. My kid's going to go to daycare. I'm going to get my car back. I'm going to have my field roll back. You guys don't need to worry. Like I, I booked 12 months off of mat leave, but I ended up, like, I remember in my last few weeks of work being like, I will be back. Like, I will totally be back. Like, don't worry about it. So pregnancy was really chill to the point where I was turning up to the doctor's offices being like, do I have to be here? Like, I'm not the first pregnant person ever. Like, I was so (laughs) dismissive of what was growing in my body. Like, I had not connected that it was a person. I had not connected any of it. I really didn't I really didn't experience that attachment of growing a human inside me. I was like, uh, oh, I'm pregnant. Everyone else is happy about it. I might as well be happy about it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I haven't got time to think about it. I'm too busy doing all this other stuff.
0: How did you feel when you had um, pregnancy scans and you could see Riker on the scans? What did you feel in those moments?
1: Nothing. Mm. Overwhelmed. A little bit of overwhelm. Mostly I was watching my husband to see if he felt anything and he was kind of just watching me, so he was like mirroring my reaction. So we were like, he's like, I don't want to react differently to you, obviously, because you're my emotionally pregnant wife. Like, <laughs> like, mm. um, yeah, no, it didn't connect. I, I definitely felt more of a, oh, mum will be happy to see this scan, rather than a there's a small human in me. Like it did not in any way connect. Yeah, so I, I kind of saw the birth as a project and I was like, oh, I can smash this project, like, you know, and so I took on like the whole birth mapping and whatever with gusto and I was like, yeah, I have this vision of how my birth's going to go and it's all going to be great and whatever. I don't really want induction because the way my brain works works from previous experience is that if someone was responsible for the pain that I was experiencing, then that would I would totally resent that person. I would be like, I don't care how much you are required to turn that knob, don't turn that knob, like <laughs> mm. all of that stuff. So I, was re- I didn't want to be induced. I'm also a mad needle phobe, so I was awesome. really off on the epidural thing, yeah. Um, luckily mm. for me, the hospital that we deliver in, all the, pretty much everyone who lives here, has to travel for a delivery hospital. Um, So we delivered at a hospital an hour away. Other people deliver if they want to, they can either go to the hospital that we delivered in or they can drive down to Melbourne and deliver down there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, they don't offer epidurals and they only take low risk pregnancies and they're like big on whatever you want goes because you're low risk and all of that stuff. So I'm really grateful that I fell into that category and had that opportunity. yeah, so about 37 weeks, I was going for my routine. I was calling them like parole check ins because I was like, why am I here? Nothing's changed. <laughs> um, and I mentioned that we had, I'd started to experience itchy hands and itchy feet. And so my sister had also tipped me off because in her last pregnancy, she ended up with a bit of coleostasis, which is where your liver stops processing the toxins in your body because it's just struggling under the oh, weight wow. of the baby um so she had it quite severely I only had a smidgen of it I had the tests the doctor was like yeah there's something abnormal um it's enough to make me want to induce you at 39 weeks and you won't be going over 40 and so of course for me that started to trigger the anxiety about it and all of that and I was like I don't want to be induced I no don't induce me (laughs) like and they're like Mm. okay no worries And so luckily for me, I went into natural labour on 39 weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I worked up to 38 and a half weeks because, as I said, I was like, nothing's going to change. I feel fine. This is great. Um, Yeah, so my first day of mat leave, I kind of just bummed around home because I was like, this baby's going to be late. No one has an early first baby. That's crazy. And mm-hmm. was awaiting the phone call from the doctor to be like, you're coming in next week to be induced anyway. And, you know, like that whole exchange. And so I went for a big walk. I think I walked my normal loop, which is like 4K, around this like pondage that we have down the road. Um, and then came home, bummed around, started my RSA online because I needed that for the footy club. Like that's how not engaged <laughs> with what was about to happen. I was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the next day, <laughs> this is the funny bit, so... The next day I booked in for a pregnancy massage because my lower back was killing me. And I got into the local beauty, beauty therapy place and the lovely masseuse, like everyone in town knows her, she's the best, but um, she's like, how far along are you? And I'm like, 39 weeks. And she's like, I don't really want to touch you. And I'm like, you need to touch me. I'm in pain. <laughs> <laughs> Rub my back, please. You know, like I'm not yep. due for another week. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I'll pay you. I don't care. So she really gently like rubbed my back, rubbed my upper back. And I remember thinking like, God, I wish you just rubbed the sore bit like in my lower back, like had not connected that I was possibly in early labour. Yeah, so she rubbed my shoulders and my head and whatever, and it was lovely. And then I remember walking out of there and being like, oh, I could probably go and get a coffee and go and do the op shops, like, you know, (laughs) bum around town all day. And then something in my head was like, nah, go home you need to go home now, like, just go bum around at home. And so I got home, I took my nice skirt off that I had on, which is weird. And um, I started going through our maternity photos that one of my friends took and started finishing my RSA. And (laughs) then my waters broke. And I was like, ah, shit all right (laughs) this changes the day (laughs) (laughs) how weird is this day (laughs) and then um yeah I remember calling the midwife and being like this has just happened what do I do and she was gauging me on the phone being like yeah you need to come in like you can barely talk to me come in and so I called my husband and he's like talk to me once you've spoke to the midwife like if it's false labor or not coming home from work for that he's only 10 minutes up the road I should have and I just made him sound really like assholey, but he's not he's the best <laughs> anyway so <laughs> <laughs> um I said I've already spoken to the midwife she said put the bags in the car like you need to come home so he came home in 10 minutes and we drove really fast an hour up the road um I remember like everyone I made a birth playlist And so we were listening to that in the car and I was just like chilling. And like the last thing I really remember was Here Comes the Sun came on by the Beatles. A little bit cliche, but I don't care. (laughs) A really good song. Great song. Um, And we're probably 20 minutes. Yeah, it is. 20 minutes down the road and everything ramped up. I was like, oh, God, this is labor. All right. Okay. I got it. But. I'm going to die. Like there's a freight train (laughs) trying to get out of me real quick. There is no spacing between contractions. Like I'm doing the like horse lips thing that I learned off the class and should I stop doing that? Like I didn't even have those thoughts to be honest because I was just like I'm sure other people get it too but you just switch into this like primitive brain where you can't do anything Mm -hmm. but survive and you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, so eyes closed, we made it to Mansfield and I – had to do a COVID test out the front <laughs> and so I waddled to the front door yeah, mid-contraction so. waiting for a COVID test. I almost had a bridesmaid's moment, you know, when like she's in the dress and she runs out to like mm-hmm. use the bathroom <laughs> and she ends up in the middle of the road. That literally yeah. almost <laughs> happened to me and they yeah. were like, oh God, get inside, get inside. I was like, I'm gonna shit in your <laughs> garden if you it. don't <laughs> let me in, like something's about oh, to happen. Gosh. And um, yeah, so they got me in and... I think I was in labour for five hours and Raka was here. I only pushed for an hour. If that, you have no concept of time, right? Like Mm -hmm. what is time now in postpartum anyway? But (laughs) it's like fast and loose. They were like here oh, take wow. the gas and because it was like one constant contraction i really struggled to pace the gas so at one point i just ended up high like really high mm. <laughs> it can so quickly happen <laughs> with that gas yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like take that off her take it away and i'm like no give it back <laughs> um so my husband didn't get a break he didn't get to even have a drink of water for that five hours because i was just holding on to him really close um Riker was delivered on all fours, like I was on all fours, which was all part of the plan. So that was all very good. Like I'm so blessed that, that everything went to plan as much as it could. Um, yeah. But I remember him coming out, which is a weird feeling, right? Everyone can relate to how weird a kid coming out of you is. And then <laughs> they kind of just put him between my legs and they were like, Jess, it's over. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I just like rolled over and just sat down and I didn't pick him up. They were like, "Just pick him up. (laughs) He's your kid. (laughs) And so, again, you can see that I hadn't connected what was going on. Like I was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's over. That's a thing I can pick off, right? Mm -hmm. Not that I've just made a human and it's here. So, yeah, that was pretty weird. And like what a weird, everyone who's had a baby can just be like, that's the weirdest time because someone just like puts a slippery little alien into you and they're like, he's your kid. (laughs) Oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) like okay. (laughs) Um yeah. And then so the first couple of days were great. It was like we're on like a little cruise holiday, the midwives were taking care of us, the regional hospital we were in, you end up with your own room because it's like a small little maternity ward. So that was awesome. Um, really well supported. You're going through all of the stuff that everyone hates, like getting milked hourly or whatever the hell it was. Um That wasn't fun, but the rest of it was pretty good. I was just eating sandwiches the whole time. It was great. Um, Mm -hmm. And then night two, my husband wasn't allowed to stay. So, and I remember feeling pretty anxious about night two and day three. So I can't remember if I've already said this, but I had a bit of history pre-pregnancy of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And so I'd had all the chats with the nurse, with the midwives and stuff about PPD, PPA, and how it's like a higher risk for people who have experienced those kind of things before. And so night two was shell shaking, foundation shaking, earthquake, tsunami, couldn't get my head up over water. But on the surface, I was all over it. I had this midwife and I really, really wanted to impress her. And so I was waking Riker up every three hours. I was out looking for him every three hours, being like, I'll feed him, I'll feed him, like, you know, pick me, pick me. <laughs> and yeah, she ended up being like, stop coming out of your room, I'll bring him to you, like, <laughs> chill. And I was like, okay, no worries. So I was just hanging out in my room. And then I remember about 4 a.m., maybe he started, or 3 a.m., maybe he started being quite hard to settle. And you know, when you just get that feeling of this, this night won't end, like, this is crazy. And then, I called the midwife in about 3 a.m. and I was like, he's just really hard to settle. And I remember her being like, well, you've got to settle in, like really gently. And I really appreciate how gentle she was about it. And I was like, "Ah, oh, he's my problem. He's not someone else's project that I'm going to get marked on. Like, mm. this is my problem. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. So <laughs> I started to kind of like get a bit unsteady from there. And I remember their shift change was 6 a.m., so she left and another midwife came on who was also really lovely. I heard them chatting in the tea room and I had the sun just starting to come in through the blinds and my immediate reaction, I was just like, I've survived the night, hit the nurse button. The next midwife comes in, goes, how are you going? And like I obviously just look like death. and passed Raka to her and was just like, I just need a minute. And then I went and hid in the corner and I cried for probably an hour and then I got up and I got in the bed and I cried for probably three and a half hours on and off. (laughs) And I was like, this is horrible. This, I cannot believe once again that that split second decision that I made nine months ago has resulted in this. I have made the worst mistake of my life. Why would I want to do this job? Why would I want to have this baby? Like it does not make rational sense that I would put myself in this position, like how silly can you be, seriously? And like just really beaten down on myself going, you had every option to not do this. You had an implant on in for six years. You could have just got another implant on in. We didn't need to have kids. Like all of it starts compounding and that's where it all begins, right? So Jared turned up at like nine o'clock. My husband turned up at nine o'clock with coffee and food and he was like oh you know you look like shit I heard you had a rough night (laughs) all of that he said all the perfect things which like to his credit they just walk in and they say things and you're like oh my god has someone briefed you like told you what to say before you walk in because it was perfect like absolutely perfect and then the rest of the day just kind of like rocked by I stayed in for another two days because I remember saying to the midwife I'm just not ready to go home like I am not ready for this to be entirely my problem like (laughs) please just let me stay another couple of days which thankfully they did so I stayed five days in hospital all up and then I came home and for the following like three and a half months three months let's go three months I had like glimmers of my brain clicking back like into higher functioning and therefore anxiety and depression but Most of the time, and I think other people can definitely relate, is I was in complete survival mode and I was like, oh, baby wants to be fed. Baby wants to go to sleep. I'm stuck on the recliner with this kid on me. Like, what am I going to eat? Can I have a cup of tea? Am I going to watch another season of Gilmore Girls? Like (laughs) classic first 12 weeks, really. My husband had four weeks off, which was awesome. I had both sets of family come down within the first month, which was great. Um, Because we live so far away, they kind of do this live-in thing, which I think is a very different experience to people who have their mum or dad down the road that pop in for five minutes, do the washing and then bugger off. Mm. It like they want to be there, but you obviously crave your own space because you're home with a baby that you don't know how to use. Like well, <laughs> <if> use <laughs> isn't the word I mean, but you get it. Um, yeah. And... I remember about four weeks they were like, come to the pub, let's go and have lunch or something. And I was like, no, I have this tiny beast that will cry whenever it wants something and I'm not getting halfway through a palmer for this thing to crack it and me have no control over the situation. Like that is overwhelming. No. (laughs) So I'd been on a couple of outings, like I'd been out back up to the footy to see the girls and stuff like that. And I've got a really supportive neighbourhood here. And so there's a group of women who have supported me through countless things over the last few years. And so they had met him as well. So I'd been like wandering across the road to the pub. We live across the road from the pub, which helps the social thing. Yeah, so I'd been out a little bit, but I was definitely starting to lean towards not leaving the house. And I was starting to get a bit more anxious and like Once Jared had gone back to work and I had all this time by myself, I just had this like baby (laughs) who doesn't interact and just sleeps and eats all day. And there's no time between feeds, right? So you're a bit time trapped that way. And for me, getting outcomes of things, and I'm sure other women are the same, like emptying the dishwasher or having a load of washing completely done or going for a walk for an hour or whatever, they were things that I really tied my self-value to and it was like, if I can't go for a walk for an hour, I've got nothing done today. If I can't empty the dishwasher, I've got nothing done today. If I can't clean the house, I've got nothing done today. And it's like that just starts to compound. And then I'd stay home and it was like if I would leave the house, I left, started leaving for mother's group and stuff. I loved mother's group. Mother's group was the best perfectly timed outlet for me it started when we were about eight weeks postpartum and uh, we were one of the youngest babies and I remember just walking in being like probably a little bit too open and that is entirely my personality in a nutshell if you haven't worked that out already but (laughs) I think it was a bit much for some people because they're obviously just trying to find their feet as well but I was like what are we doing why have we done this (laughs) it's like (laughs) just trying to like unload without the relationship there. So I was definitely missing that kind of relationship where I could just be like, this is shit. Why do women do this? Like who would do this? Mm-hmm. And then so that went for six weeks and it was great. I'm still in touch with a few of the women there. Um I was starting to get anxious. I call them anxious visions. There's probably a different word for it. But I had this vision for example that When I left the house, I would put Riker in the car and back the car out and our driveway is on like a decline into the road. I had this vision that shook me in my bones that when I was like getting out of the car to shut our gates, the handbrake would fail or I would forget to put the handbrake on. I think that was more it because I wasn't trusting my baby brain. My baby brain was messing everything up all through the house. I couldn't find stuff for like three months. Sorry, back to the car thing. So I had this real soul-shattering vision that I would forget to put the handbrake on, get out of the car, shut the gate, the car would roll into the traffic and another car would T-bone the car and Riker would die. Mm. So that was the kind of stuff that my brain was kind of creating and I was like, whoa, what's happening? Whoa. And there was no way I could, I was out of control in that situation. Like I couldn't rationalise it. I didn't voice it. Um, I probably should have, obviously, but I was like, nah, I'll just not leave the house. That's the solution. Like why would I get in the car? Easy. Mm. Um, It makes it easier that where we live, the fog doesn't lift till about 1pm. So the common theme among a lot of the new mums here is that they don't leave the house because they hibernate because it's freezing and it's not good weather to take the kid out and whatever. So even when I would try and make plans, when I was a bit more aware of my mental state, often kids would get sick or plans would change or whatever. So I was actively trying to mitigate myself, I guess, like control my anxiety and my depression. And everything I was doing to try and mitigate it was falling over at the last minute. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I just wanted a five-minute cup of tea with someone that I used to work with and all of a sudden they can't come. It was like the universe just kept putting blocks and blocks and blocks and I was like, well, I'm not getting the 1% cup fill that I imagine that other people get when their parents or their family live close by and they just pop by unannounced and you might hate that they're there but you saw another human that day whereas like I was pretty much waiting for my husband to get home and just like throwing all of this energy and resentment at him and being like, I haven't seen anyone all day you're exhausted, I'm exhausted. Like well, this isn't a good, good place. And then um, the depression spiral started to start a little bit after that. So I was just home, alone, plans canceled, nowhere to go, nowhere to be, which for a busy person like myself, that was soul crushing. Because I was like, if I'm not busy, what am I? I'm lazy, you know, like your self-voice starts to come in and goes. You're just sitting on the couch you know you know like why would you your entire self-value used to be about being busy and now you're not busy so you're obviously worthless like and it just starts to compound there and with my previous experience with depression and anxiety I don't quite really have panic attacks anymore I have quite rational spirals which are really difficult to get out of because it's like I've pushed and pushed and pushed my brain I've worked through a lot of stuff previously but it means that I don't get the triggers anymore cuz I go I can handle it but it means that my brain keeps pushing the pushing the agenda because my brain thinks I can take it I guess so someone re- like had a good analogy for me years and years ago that was like once you start walking down the depressive path that becomes the well-trodden path and you just ke- it becomes easier to extend that path than it is to walk on the path which is joy or happiness or contentment or whatever because the only trodden path you have is the depressive path so um I started to spiral really slowly and God knows how long these things go for that's the other thing is like they go have you felt this for more than two weeks it's like mate I'm postpartum I couldn't tell you how long it's been like it might have been a day but it feels like eternity like all I can tell you it's not is it's not pleasant Like. Can we just forget about the have you felt like this for two weeks and just kind of treat the issue as it arises? So the spiral and, like, I apologise in advance if this triggers anyone with their narratives that they might currently be going through, but um, I started to feel that I had burdened myself, my family, my husband just by making that split-second decision of falling pregnant with Riker. Um, And you can see how that would compound. It was like I'm just sitting at home impulse shopping looking for dopamine obviously and all of a sudden I'm a leech on my husband's salary and all of a sudden I've got no one to hang out with in business hours and all of my old friends work full time without kids. So they go, we'll come over, we'll come over in our lunch break and then my brain goes, you shouldn't be burdening those people to come and give you company. Like that's... Mm -hmm. You know, like, you should have thought of that before you had a kid is the general gist that kept coming through. Yeah, that was the big one was business hours. Everyone goes, oh, the nights are so long. The nights are so lonely. And I was like, no, business hours, someone could, like, I could stay up all night, no worries, but business hours would shit me to tears because I'd just be, like, so bored, feeling so useless, so worthless, being, like, everyone else is at work, my entire... Pre kid self value was tied to work. I'm not working, doesn't matter that I've had a kid, I'm now not working. Like, so yeah. Um, and what else? Yeah, I started to get really, really resentful more resentful than I already was. I was like, I caught myself pouring all of my resentment silently into Jared, into my son, and into myself. Um, at the time as well, I should add that my family went through a bit of like a big split just before I fell pregnant or we were mid, my mum mm-hmm. had left my dad mid-split after 50 years of marriage as well. Wow. Um, so my family would keep saying like, just call me. Like I'm always here or whatever. We're your village, we're here. And I'm like, you guys don't have the emotional capacity right now to deal with the depths that I, I am experiencing. Like and I'm not going to put that on you again let's compound back on the burdening people with your problems, all of that sort of stuff. I, there was a time at about 14 weeks, I think, I went and helped with something at the footy club and my neighbour, bless her soul, took time off work and came and looked after Riker for the three hours that I might be gone. I was only gone for two. But I remember, like, the feeling of driving out the gate without the kid was the most free I have ever felt in my entire life. It was like the weight had been absolutely stripped off me. Like, and that's often how I would talk about my experience with PPD was like life just felt really heavy. It felt like someone had tied bricks to my feet and my arms and everything and I was still expected to survive normal adult life now with this kid, especially being surrounded by other people that didn't have kids. Like... It just felt that no one really understood how heavy everything was. So the description of like me getting out of the gate, it was kind of like how you imagine like a pack horse feels after like two weeks of just (laughs) like constant packing and like when they go and like frolic around in the paddock and being like, oh, my God, look, I can run again. That is how I felt and it was like the most earth-shattering kind of revelation to me that I was like, I could run away. I could totally run away. I don't need to go back home. Like the only thing that really made me go back home was the fact that I would make a bigger mess and be a bigger burden on people if I didn't go back to this shitty job that I didn't sign up for. Like, and it was all, I mean, thank God there was that sense of responsibility in me, but I can totally see how people run away. Totally. Yeah, I remember the Kick thing being over. It only took an hour and a half and I was like, I've got to go back home to my jail. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to go home. No part of me wants to go back home. I wonder if I could just keep driving to Melbourne and how far I'd get before someone called and was worried. I wonder. Um, So I definitely had this whole fleeing thing. A couple of weeks later, I was watching You Can't Ask That on reruns on iview. And there was an episode of postpartum depression and anxiety and there was a girl on there who I am so grateful that she signed up to go on that show because her experience is it just resonated it hit a chord with me I actually when my husband got home I made him watch it with me and I was like this is it this is I feel claustrophobic I feel caged in she actually spoke of feeling like she could just so resentful that she could like veer off roads and stuff like that I was not at that level I'll just be clear but it was like, I just need to run away. I need to be out of here. This is not the future I had planned for myself. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I've made a huge mistake and now I've got to live with it and I've just got to adjust to that. And everyone just keeps telling me to get over it and to enjoy my time with my kid. And that is the last thing that I can do. All I'm doing is pouring resentment into this kid. And then when you kind of bring back the empathy of it, it's like, does this kid deserve to have that much resentment? He's, he's a kid. What kind of monster does that? You know, like. And so my narrative kind of developed then. After that, being aware of the fact that I might have been on a heavy spiral and I needed help, I was like, what kind of monster? Oh, that was it. Sorry, backtrack. As I said, I'd booked 12 months off work and I had six months paid and I hit about four months and right when all of this depressive stuff happened, And there was a few things that I was trying to grab for just for something steady while the rest of the world was still kind of shaking around me. I was like, Oh, okay. I know football club. I know work. Like these are places where I know my value and I know what I contribute. And um, so there was a couple of events. There's like this fundraiser that I organize each year. It's like a ladies day hybrid up here um, at the footy club. And I'd been working on all of that while I was pregnant and it, was executed and all that sort of stuff. So I had this kind of pinnacle that I was working towards and I was like, once I make it to ladies day, all of this goes away, all of it, which you make it to ladies day and then you get home and the kid's still there. The project hasn't gone away. No one's taken it off you. And so I ended up after it happened twice. After that, I ended up hitting low lows. I was like, there is no, no saviour for this shit situation. This kid's going to be here no matter what I work towards, or well, no matter what I work on, all of that sort of stuff. Um, there was another event. I, went, I got invited to our all-staff conference, which was game-changing. It was like, oh, thank God, work still appreciates me, all of that stuff. And they said, you can bring your husband and your son. Like, we're super inclusive. And I was like, awesome. So we went. And, again, I had this pinnacle of this event being like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. I'm going to wear this and I'm going to go and talk to this person. And, you know, like I haven't seen anyone since I've had a baby, so it'll be good to catch up with everyone. And then we got back home and I felt like I'd been put back in jail and I was like spiral, 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 spiral. So there was a couple of, like, catalyst moments where it was like, oh, no, we're going way fast down again. Like, how do I get out of this situation? And it was like, oh, Um, And then everyone I'd spoken to, because obviously I had no idea about mat leave and all that sort of stuff. They all said, take your 12 months. You're entitled to your 12 months. Just enjoy your time with your kid. As I said, I hit four months. My mental capacity came back. My whole self-value was tied to work. And then I started the narrative of what kind of monster wants to go back to work. Before then, that leaves over. Why can't I just enjoy this time with my kid like everyone else seems to be? So I was like... All I really wanted to do was go back to work and then but I was still paid to be off so I was like I have to be home. I have to be home with my kid because that's what's going to happen. I also didn't have any daycare till six months so yeah I just kind of stayed at home. So um, after the second event I kind of compiled all that info. I'd also had a friend of ours he had a baby eight or nine years ago. So his son is really cool. He's in the community with us as well. But his partner went through a bit of PPD and PPA from what I can gather. And um, he actually came up to me at this fundraiser event and said, I can tell you're not good. We can all tell you're not good. No one just wants to approach you about it. You haven't left the house in ages. You've completely like switched from who you are. And I'm like, yeah, because it's hard. You can't just leave the house for the kid. Like, I can't just leave the house with my wallet and my keys anymore. Like, I'm sure all your listeners can relate. Like, now I've got to think about nap time, feed time, nappy mm-hmm. bag. Has the kid had a shit today? Like, all of this yeah. stuff. Have I eaten today? If he's going to sleep in the car, does it ruin the rest of the day? Like, it's not even worth leaving the house when you're on a newborn schedule. It's like, pfft. And I got quite defensive about it. And then I got home and I was like, oh, he was trying to help. Why? <laughs> like... You know that you are high risk for this. Why are you surprised by this outcome, right? Like, like mm, just own it. Yeah. So um, I, ended up, I ended up running with those spirals for a while and being like, no one else seems to be struggling under the weight of motherhood as much as I am. And is everyone faking it? Everyone must be faking it because this is the most fucking hard thing I've ever done in my life. And if I hadn't have moved away from my family, just back on the family drama bit, I would be there to support my family through this hard time and not be putting this extra emotional stress on them that I'm having a hard time down here by myself. Um, they're 13 hours by car and it's like they're not really near an airport and we're not really near an airport, so I don't live in the easiest place to get to quickly. Yes, yeah, so that was my vibe for the first like four and a half months, say, it was just like quietly stewing in my own self-hatred. Yeah, I ended up chatting to a maternal child health nurse, because at some point I tried to call Panda and I couldn't get through due to their volunteer capacity, obviously, which is a shame. And I swear. And it was interesting because it was like it was meant to be because my normal nurse, I, like I was talking about the midwife before, I feel like I want to impress her. So I've never let on any of this. I've totally been like, everything's fine. He's feeding fine. Everything's chill. This new um, nurse was just in the right place at the right time and just created the perfect emotionally safe space. And I said, we sat there and talked for a bit. Riker actually started becoming a bit unsettled because, you know, how kids like mirror your reaction to things. And I wasn't going to tell her. I wasn't going to say anything. He was just mucking around on the floor, but he was quite like fidgety and whatever. And he was picking up on my anxiety, I reckon. And then I said... She goes, is there anything else? Like, and I'm like, oh, I tried to call Panda last week. And she's like, oh, okay. How'd that go? And all of a sudden it just kind of started pouring out about me being a burden to everyone, everyone who's ever existed, the Pope. Like, I'm a burden. (laughs) I'm a huge burden, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was probably in there for another 40 minutes. And I said, like, I even had imposter syndrome about it though. I was like, oh, but it's like, it's nothing, right? It's, it's just post-baby blues. It's nothing. Like, you know, it's hormone shifts. It's breastfeeding. It's everything. And um, she was like, okay, all right, I'll call you and check in in a couple of days. So she called me the next day and I was like, oh, no, I feel fine today. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, she was like, actually, I've already referred you to a triage unit because I was quite concerned about the stuff you were saying. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe this is a bit more serious than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I was like I was adamant that I wasn't as bad as I could be and it's like when you say that your body's like oh really let me make that worse for you like like, so I started to spiral a little bit more and conveniently with um, the mental health unit checking in they were they caught me they called me three times and two of those times I was having a really shitful day it was just like I don't want to feed the dog because it is too much. Everything is just overwhelming. The dog's a pain in the ass. Um, In that time, I'd taken my son and my dog for a walk. I have a Kelpie who's 10 years old. He's not high maintenance at all. He's chill. He's our original child. But um, he cut across in front of the pram and it almost spilled the pram and that overwhelmed me massively. So I stopped taking Mm -hmm. them for a walk. I was like, no, when none of us are going for a walk because... There's no point in going for a walk without walking the dog as well. The dog needs a walk and I can't go for a walk without the dog, so I just won't go for a walk. So I had all of those thought patterns with this lovely lady who called me and I was talking about obviously when your family goes through something, everyone starts to re-evaluate their entire upbringing and stuff like that. So there was a few things that I was sitting and stewing on being like, is this why? And like another narrative I had was that I don't know how to play with my kid, which I still struggle with. Like, I'm not a playful person at all. My husband is like, that is your biggest downfall is that you don't know how to play because you're always busy working. And um, yeah, so I really compounded down on that. And I was like, why am I like this? Is it because of, you know, all of these skeletons in the cupboard and whatever? And she's like, all right, I think, you really need to come into this parent-infant unit. You would really benefit from it because there's this awesome program um, called Circle of Security. I've heard one of your other guests talk about it as well. Mm. And it actually goes through why we are, how we are, and how to break generational patterns. And if you're not happy with certain traits of yourself, how to ensure that you don't pass them on. And it really educates you on what the pivotal points of this kid's life are. It teaches you about, you know, when they're a toddler and they wander off and then they look back at you for security, you need to be there and receptive and be like, yeah, you're safe, keep going and that whole reassurance because without that, they just go, oh, mum doesn't care and they become quite cautious and, you know, that's the theory behind it and stuff like that. And you want your kid to be happy and brave and all of the above. I can't quite remember what the catchphrases are. I'm sure someone else can. Um, but I got a lot out of that. I got heaps out of that. Um, so I was in the Bendigo Parent Infant Unit for 10 days as a voluntary patient. It was, I actually got heaps out of it. It changed my, my entire perception. It's not a quick fix. Like I don't want to by any means say that this is over. I still struggle daily. Um, but they got me started on sertraline. Um, I fought it for a bit because I've always had, been quite sensitive to side effects. Um, so I remember the first night they put me on it. I was quite agitated at 11 o'clock at night and grinding teeth. And like, I'm a pretty tolerant person, but the nurse came to me and she was like, you need to go to bed. Your baby could wake up at any minute. And I'm like, mate, I'm a mum. That is the last thing you need to say to me. That is the one thing that's like churning my brain over right now is that my kid could wake up at any minute and I can't sleep. Do you actually think I'm up? out of choice, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? Um So just stuff like that and I ended up, so I was nervous about starting it in the unit because I was like, I think I would be better supported at home because my husband is a really active co-parent so, like, we often split the wake-ups overnight and stuff like that. Um, but I remember the first night, we were four and a half months when we went to Bendigo and... We hadn't really slept anywhere else and he was so unsettled and it just, like, shit me. That's the other thing is prior to Bendigo, from about eight weeks on, Riker has slept through. I have been absolutely blessed in that respect. Another thing that I guilt-tripped myself about because I was like, you haven't even got a hard kid. Why are you having a hard time with this? Imagine all the people that have hard kids, like, (laughs) you know. And so I got to Bendigo and he stopped sleeping and I was like, oh, I've made the worst decision ever. I've broken my kid just for my not being able to adjust to being a mum. Like I've literally harmed my kid by coming here and that started to compound. And then there was a couple of other people who had been through quite a lot in the unit. Um, Sorry, the unit only has five rooms, so it's quite an intimate setting. Um, And then I started to feel a bit of imposter syndrome and like I shouldn't be there and I'm taking up a space of someone else who is more deserving to be there, and, like, the nurses in there, especially trained and really passionate about maternal health, and they just kind of sat down every, each time and were like, you're fine. So many people that come in here have the exact same thought patterns as you're having. We have this conversation daily. You're here because you want to be here. It's not because you need to be here. You want to make a change. Let's make a change. Like, don't worry about what everyone else's issues are. You're having a hard time. We're here to help. So that was really great. And just to add, I met some awesome people in the PIU. It was like, oh, the other mums that were in there were just on my level and it was like you can walk in somewhere. As I said, I walked into the first mother's group when I was eight weeks and was like, oh, this is so shit, and everyone else was like, oh, okay. Okay these mums mm. like in the PIU were like, how yeah. shit is this? And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. finally someone mm-hmm. else is being receptive to my blunt honesty about whatever the hell this job is, right? like, like mm, yeah. And <laughs> so that was really great. And we did a lot of group therapy sessions about like managing emotions and panic attacks and all of that sort of stuff. And although it's not directly relevant to you, it's so interesting. Like I just found, found it a lot of value from going. Yeah, I learned about so what I was feeling is called distress intolerance. So I was feeling overwhelmed by the kid. So I was trying to palm him off to everyone and bugger off and flee. Um other people have a fight reaction, other people have all of these things. So that was a pretty game-changing moment. Um, it was good because when I turned up at the PIU, I hadn't had my bags with me. So I did the check-in process and chatted with the nurse and whatever. And then Raka was quite unsettled and I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. And my first reaction was to pass him straight to the nurse who I'd just met and been like, I'll be back. I'm just going down to get the, kit, the bags out of the car. And she was like, oh, okay, no worries. And I had poker face, absolute poker face. She was like, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Um, I was fleeing. And inside every part of my body was just like electric, like, this is the most overwhelming thing. You could probably leave your kid here. Mm. (laughs) Like, he would be safe. So I went and got the bags and came back, obviously, again, because I would make a huge mess if I didn't go back. And, yeah, I ended up disclosing to her a few days later that that was my flea and she was like, oh, I couldn't even tell. And I'm like, this is why I ended up under the radar for so long because I was masking it so well and being like, I've got it together. Like, I'm dressed. I have a bra on today. Like, I'm functioning. And I was just, like, not mentally functioning. I was just, like, in survival mode again, but in a different way. Um, so, yeah, we did some really cool group sessions. I actually, we had a session with an exercise. I think she's, like, a physio. But she was really great because she said something that really stuck with me. And it was, like, I said, I've got organiser fatigue. Like, I've tried a few times to organise things in my local area and, like, as I said, other people hibernate or they have different plans or different priorities and nothing seems to stick. Like, all I need is a routine. I need somewhere to be on Tuesdays at 10am like Mother's Group was and I need it to not be possible for people to bail from it because I need the social outlet, right? And she's like, you keep saying social a lot. Why do you play football? And I was like, for the social. I'm not good at football. I'm terrible at football. (laughs) I still am (laughs) terrible at football but those girls make my week every time I see them and they've been a massive support we're all a massive support for each other we're a great community and she's like so what you need to do is prioritise social activities because that's how you fill your cup and I was like duh right Mm -hmm. like why have I not been doing this I've been like pretending Mm -hmm. that I like going to the gym and shit but no one talks to you at the gym so I don't enjoy it and whatever and so Learning that about myself is kind of game-changing because now she goes, why don't you start looking into like, you know, frisbee golf or like weird stuff that people do that isn't competitive and is just fun. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So that was good. And then the Sertraline is awesome. Once that kicked in, I've been able to maintain um, a routine, which I've never been able to do in my whole life. So once I got out in August, i what did i do i um <laughs> i did about like a 70 day yoga streak um they also spoke in the unit about adjusting your expectations of yourself and what is a- like i walk for an hour you say i went for a walk today worthy you know I don't need to do an hour and a half of yoga for it to be a worthy effort. I can split it into a 15 minute chunk and then I'm guaranteed to actually finish it before Riker wakes up. And then I feel like I've accomplished something, right? And so that really worked for me as well. So I started habit stacking on Riker's naps when we got back home. And so he'd go to bed. Um, He is a cried out baby. So I fluff around and do housework in the 15 minutes that he cries for. Then he goes to sleep. Um, and then once he's asleep and my 15 minute time has gone off, then I would do 15 minutes of yoga through this app, which is awesome. It's like an automated, um, flow. It's called down dog. If anyone wants the thing, um, but you can set the amount of time that it goes for. And I just set it for 15 minutes. And so, yeah, managed about 80 days straight. I even did it on Christmas day. Like was just addicted to the habit. Yeah. Thank you. So I ended up putting my kid in daycare. I should probably rewind a little bit. When Raka was a week old, I was on the phone to all the daycares being like, when can I get him into daycare? There's no daycare here and I definitely want to go back to work because, again, I hadn't really adjusted to the idea of being a mum. And so at six months, he got a spot in family daycare one day a week and my husband started taking one day a week off work so I could work two days a week. So I went back to work in September and it was – the best thing for both of us I was happy I was like I'm getting a break I'm getting a structured break which happens every week without fail this is awesome um and now this year I starting January I got a couple more days of daycare which has been awesome and my husband still takes the day off on the Wednesday and then on Tuesdays I have this spare day of daycare which I'm like oh look, I'll just keep it because if something happens then I can readjust the time schedule, right? I've ended up going to, like, the local CWA and learning how to knit because I'm just, like, the the social value that I get from that is so (laughs) game-changing. Like, Mm. I'm big on the whole, like, Brene Brown Village stuff and I find that, like, (laughs) like, that generation of women, they might not talk at an actual intricate depth about emotions and stuff. But the fact that you're just surrounded by like random chitter-chatter is just so comforting. And like Mm. the mutual benefit of them being able to teach me how to knit and me just being able to absorb whatever they're chatting about that day, whether it's like home and away characters or whatever. Like (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice just having somewhere that you can just be. And they're like, we've had five kids. It was hard, but we just managed and whatever. And you're like, people survive this. And they're actually, like, they're at a a really cool age where they're pretty shameless in what they say. And they're like, oh, it was shit. It was horrible. (laughs) And I'm like, no one my age seems to talk like that. (laughs) Um, So I've found a lot of value from that. That's been really cool. And they obviously want all the baby stories because even their grandkids are, like, 10. So they haven't been near a baby in a long time. So that's been pretty cool. And, yeah, just finding stuff that fills my cup because, obviously, that's quite important. But then. I find myself prioritising filling my own cup over filling my husband or my son's cup and I'm like, that's when I notice that I need to pull back and I'm potentially not being my best self because I'm doing that thing where I'm like, I don't have a kid. I can do all these things. And I'm like, no, life's different for a little while. It might change soon and go back to that. But for right now, you need to prioritise both of them, you know. Yeah, that's my spiel. Mm. Oh, wow. Sorry, that was a lot.
0: No, 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 no. It was so interesting. And, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think it's such an important conversation because I think that there is it's a really hard thing to talk about not feeling connected to your child or feeling a sense of regret about becoming a parent in any way is such a big thing that just isn't spoken about because like you've touched on a few it's not times, the right thing feel, to say I'm right for yeah yes yeah. but you know it's such a bloody hard thing being a parent it's so utterly life-changing there's all kinds of identity changes coming with it so yeah like I think it's so important to talk about if you're if you aren't loving it if you're if you're feeling um, these complex emotions in it so yeah, thank you so much for sharing that so openly and yeah I'm sure that there will be people listening who can resonate with parts of what you've said.
1: I hope so um, mm. I did end to my son just like skip a few chapters (laughs) Mm. but it only happened quite recently so about maybe eight nine ten months when he started to become quite engaging and stuff like that and actually daycare was a massive win for that because seeing other people see value in him helped me see the same value in him and stuff like that like that external I guess influence Mm. from other people really helped me build that love and connection for him and now he's our best mate he's the best. He's just like oh, okay. a hurricane. We're currently in the toilet paper through the house and tampons through the house and <laughs> everything through the house stage. <laughs> but into everything. we wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, great. Yeah, can you talk to us about one of the first moments that stands out to you of where you did feel really connected to him?
1: He does this like... <laughs> He does this really cheeky smile, like he'll be playing with my husband in the high chair or something with food and he'll pretend to feed Jared and he'll turn around and be like, (laughs) like, because he's, like, (laughs) reaping it back. And I'm like, you're too young to have that much sass, right? Like, (laughs) So the first moment that happened and I kind of realised that was what was going on, I was like, oh, God, it's like looking (laughs) in a mirror. And then another moment was like, as I said, at daycare. So there's a really lovely, we go to family daycare. So the daycare teacher is like an extension of our family now. And he's been going there two days a week all of this year. And just hearing them talk about him as like this lovely little ray of sunshine, because he is, he's so chill. He plays with other kids, like he steals their food, but he doesn't like so far cross fingers, touch wood. He doesn't bite or like, you know, cry all the time or anything. So He's, um, yeah, he's just really, really, like, soft-natured so far, <laughs> I keep saying. Mm. But, um, yeah, having that reflection of him from other people really helped me compound that sense of love because I was like, oh, okay, it's just my mom goggles on that I'm, you know, in a 24-7 job with this kid, hence me resenting it, you know, like he's actually a good kid and I'm actually mm. a good person. Who knows? Like... Mm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and how's everything going for you now? He's 14 months now. How is that next kind of period? How are you feeling? Tell me all the things. Overwhelmed daily. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always
1: overwhelmed. That's generally how it goes. I have about six projects on the go at the moment. And as I said before, I'm finding myself getting frustrated when I can't progress them. Um, even today for example I have this appointment with you and then I have another one in a little while and the fact that he's at home sick today was like a little mm. bit I know I'm better than I was because I wasn't completely shaken by the fact that my plans have been altered mm. um, but it still didn't sit really well it was like ugh. Of mm. course. I'm I'm the one stuck at home with my plans changing, like, ah, like a real martyr yeah. situation yeah. that I'm really not proud of. Um Yeah. Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> is that relevant?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Just how, how are you feeling now? Like how's it Oh yeah. How's
1: it going? Yeah. yeah. Um and then I guess the other thing to note is that when I do have six projects on the go and I am overwhelmed by the workload that I impose on myself, Joy. I take it out on my family and that's something to be really aware of as women. I think that it's so important to take on less. I mean, like I myself take on 120% of things and I really should take on 90% to allow for a buffer, right? And even when I'm running at about 100%, I feel my relationship slipping with people around me because I'm snappy or I'm stressed or all of that stuff or I'm not prioritising filling my own cup or my husband's cup or whatever. Like it's such a delicate balancing act and it's like what can I take on without upsetting I guess the bucket level because you need it to be light enough for you to carry but not so heavy that you fall over. Mm.
0: Yeah. Mm, Yeah, well, it's so yeah good on you it's really commendable that you did seek out that help and it sounds like the instay was such a positive experience for you and such a necessary experience at that time and i'm so glad that those services do exist i think they're like invaluable for so many for so many people so yeah i'm so so glad you had that yeah Mm, yeah yeah so awesome yeah, and so as a kind of final question to wrap us up, if you could offer advice or comfort to your new parent self when you were just about to embark on this whole journey that you've undertaken, what would you say
1: to yourself? I don't really know. I kind mm. of, I really am of the belief that I had to go through all of this to appreciate it. Yeah. And in no way would I, I, like weirdly enough, I don't think I'd change it. For much because I've since met people who further along the line go through PPD like when your kids won or whatever and it's like they don't really know what it is how to deal with it all of that sort of stuff who they are anymore it's not something that's exclusive to like the first year of postpartum depression isn't something that's exclusive Mm, to postpartum all of that sort of stuff and it's like I almost feel sometimes like it's a rite of passage that people go through, and it's just how deeply you choose to connect with that experience. Some people don't. That's why some people just sail through things and go, This is hard. I'm just going to get through it and not put my brain into it. And then some of us just get stuck with our brain in it and can't get out of it. So it's like, Yeah. And then I'm grateful that I went through it as early as I did so that I can be on the other side of it. You know, it's like someone gave me the cheat codes to a really hard mm-hmm. game when they medicated me. I was like, Ah. I can just exist. This isn't a big deal. I don't have any of these expectations. None of these expectations I have on myself are legit. Like, mm. <laughs> like mm,
0: totally. You know,
1: it's, I should have done it months before.
0: Mm. But it's so hard when you're in that mindset to seek that help because you're so self. Um, what's it called deprecating so self-deprecating yeah
1: yeah and, and it becomes such an indulgent thing right mm. I don't know like if you've ever experienced it but it's like yeah I have yeah yeah it's like eating a whole block of chocolate and not feeling sick about it it's like mm. oh I'll just push myself and see what worst thought I can actually take or like can I sit here a little bit longer and can I process that really hard thing by myself sitting here and it's like you can't and you shouldn't. Mm. That's why people talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm,
0: yep, absolutely. And there's so there's just so much value in talking to other people and in sharing our stories. So yeah, I hope that you had a nice experience talk well, yeah, nice experience talking about this today. How do you feel after after getting it all out there?
1: Yeah, it's a weird sense of closure. As I was saying to you before, this is like the first time I've probably, I've articulated it to a few people in chunks but Mm. a lot of people, I'm conscious of the depths that I can get and the depths that other people have capacity for. So I haven't really put it all together in something and like I'm so glad your podcast exists because when I got out of the PIU I was like, other people need to know about this, I should start a podcast and I'm that person Mm. that would be like here's another project that I should take (laughs) off, you know. So (laughs) the fact that you already have one and I can just like partake in it is a great opportunity to just be like, this is what I wanted. I obviously subconsciously wanted this closure and this is how Mm. it would take place. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And I'm so glad that
0: it has given you that sense of closure. It's Yeah, I just the reason I created and love bringing this podcast because I think there's just so much power in sharing these stories and, yeah, sharing with ourselves. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Mm, uh, Jess, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for sharing your experiences so vulnerably. It's been, yeah, really, really lovely to talk to you and I think that your story will really help and comfort other people who might be feeling similar things
1: awesome thanks
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks for listening sharing our stories is such a meaningful way to connect with ourselves and others and i hope you enjoyed today's episode follow us on instagram at definitely baby podcast for photos of our weekly guests updates or to share your own story I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast or share with a friend. It really helps us to grow and help other parents feel more supported by these beautiful stories. I'll see you next week for another lovely episode.